you guys, if you're not already standing, get up on your feet. Let's find somebody. Tell them good morning. Bring your time. Bring your shame. Bring your guilt. Bring your pain. Don't you know it's not your name? You will always be much more to me. Every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right. But that's alright. Cause I need
Good morning, everybody. You know, we lose about eight degrees, and y'all get real excited. That was awesome to hear you singing that this morning. You almost yeehawed at the end there. I have people, I, we have people that watch in Ohio and California, and they're waiting for you to yeehaw because their image of you, you know, we don't show on the internet uh, the, the crowd very much, um, but they do expect that you're all wearing cowboy hats and boots. And uh, so, so. If they ever come visit, we all have to wear cowboy hats and boots. Talk with a draw. Anyway, good morning, and it, it's so great to have you here this morning. We especially want to welcome back our team from Brazil. They came back last Sunday. Man, oh, man. And uh, we will be hearing from them. We'll work out a Wednesday night where they will be sharing what God did in and through them on this trip. The, if you have not seen the pictures on the Internet, make sure you befriend Kevin or Pam Hudson. And a lot of amazing things happened. And uh, I heard this morning that a couple teenagers came to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And, and uh, what, a, what a great opportunity we have. What an awesome time we live in to be able to get on a plane and travel anywhere in the world. Uh, we have a team right now in Guatemala, and they are heading. most of them are heading back today, some next week. But uh, welcome back, Brazil team. And uh, we're looking forward to hearing from you. And, and uh, thank you for investing money and time into serving the Lord. But uh, we are here this morning to encourage your walk with God, and uh, you are aware that our goal, we just sang it, uh, our goal is to introduce people into a personal relationship with a loving and forgiving God. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And having done that, then he calls us into servant. He calls us into, into family business. We're adopted into his family, and it's our responsibility to live for him. And there's a, there's a point at which, even with Jesus in his life, and surely he was God and he was perfect, but when he turned 30 years old and he was ready to go into ministry, he had John the baptizer take him down to the river, and he was baptized into the ministry. And uh, so at some point in a Christian's life, Scripture encourages the local church. We're encouraged to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so it is our privilege as people surrender their lives to the Lord to baptize. And we have had a ton of them lately, which is quite an incredible experience for a church. 
Uh, and this morning we have three more. Ryan, why don't you come down and his two daughters. Uh, just to give you some, uh, some background, we love it when a godly man is able to baptize his own children. Because you understand that as the head of your house, as the spiritual head of your house, you are the pastor of your flock. Maybe a small flock, but your flock nonetheless. And so uh, when a young uh, person wants to be baptized, they will go to Alicia, they'll come to me, or they'll go to their parents. And uh, one of my questions, if the father knows the Lord and is walking with him, is uh, would you like your daddy to baptize you? And many times they say yes. Sometimes they want their pastor to do that. But uh, it is a privilege when, when young people want their father to, and that was the case here. Uh, and uh, Ryan, why don't you introduce your girls? Uh, this is Callie Gilbert. She's 14, and uh, she, uh, she loves the Lord, and she goes to Hudson. She's a cheerleader. Callie, you yep. accepted Christ at uh, Awana, right? Isn't that what you told me? And uh, you have been talking about being baptized for a while, and recently you went to your daddy, and, and then you came to talk to me, right? So nobody's making you do this, right? See, I told you I'd ask you easy questions. <coughs> I really want to keep asking questions, because <laughs> anyway. All right, Ryan, why don't you baptize your little girl? Callie Gilbert, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Now, Ryan, you have another one. Yeah, I do. Don't leave us yet, Callie. You're going to be prayed for in a moment. Okay, this is Tristan. And Tristan, you accepted Christ at Awanas as well, right? I, if you're wondering if children's ministry is effective, that's the answer. It's yes. And they teach them the word. Awana is a great ministry. At, is it what church? Uh, is that Mount Carmel? Mount Carmel, one of our sister churches, and they're faithfully serving the Lord. That's awesome. So you accepted Christ when you were a little girl. And when you heard your sister was going to be baptized, you wanted to take a stand for Christ as well, right? All right, why don't you baptize your other little girl? You ready? Tristan Gilbert, by your profession of faith, I now baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So... Here's the cool thing. Don't leave yet. Don't, don't, don't go. We'll pull you back in. <laughs> you know, Scripture says that a godly uh, heritage is a gift from the Lord. And uh, we ask each of the children or the people that are being baptized, adults, who they would like to pray for them. And they wanted their grandmother, uh, Grandma Judy, right? Why don't you come on up here and pray for your grandbabies? <laughs> Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity for my beautiful granddaughters and their profession of faith. God, I just ask you to lead our family and help us to be good examples for them as they grow in you. Lord, I just thank you and I praise you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So... In case you're wondering if you watch too much news and you hear about all the bad stuff going on in the world, i got to tell you something. In families, godly families, there's great stuff happening. And uh, God is, will use you to disciple your kids. Rex, you ready? Yep. There's a traffic jam in the back. <laughs> For those of you who've been with us the last few months, this will be the second time Rex has been able to baptize one of his grandkids. And uh, we are very, very excited Destiny, you have a smile that doesn't quit. 
And uh, Destiny, when did you come to know Jesus Christ? At preteen camp. At preteen camp. At preteen camp. So. I know that we're not keeping record, but do you know there were 28 children this summer came to know Jesus Christ in our student and children's ministry? Those are the ones that we know of, 28. And you're one of those. And, and that, my friends, is an impact on culture. And of all the decisions that these young people will make in their life, 150 years from now, that's the only one that will matter. That one right there. And so you accepted Christ and wanted to be baptized, Rex, or do you have something you'd like to say? Just that my cup runs over <laughs> these days. Uh, we want, you want your children to, and grandchildren to do good things in this world, but more than anything we want is them to follow Jesus and to love him. And, and that's, that's what our desire is for our kids and grandkids. Destiny's starting that, trip, that path today. So. All right, Destiny. Do you, know that, do you believe that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures? Do you believe that he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures? All right. Based on your profession of faith, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in the likeness of his resurrection. And we have another grandmother that's going to pray for her grandkids, Miss Peggy. so much for today and I thank you um, for answering prayer I thank you for Carpenter's Way and our children's ministry I thank you for using them to plant the seed in Destiny's heart and Father I just pray that Destiny will always be as excited and passionate about you as she is today I thank you for destiny and the gifts and talents that you've given her. I thank you for her kind and compassionate heart, her gentle spirit, and her joyful spirit, her artistic nature, and her creative imagination. And Father, I just pray that you will grow her up to be a godly woman with strength and character who will always follow you and love you with her whole heart. Father, I pray that you'll give her wisdom and discernment in the midst of this difficult world that we live in. And Father, I just ask that you help her keep her eyes firmly fixed on you. I ask you to be with us as her family that will always guide and direct her to you. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who are new to Carpenter's Way or who are visiting, uh, our goal at Carpenter's Way obviously is to introduce people to Jesus, but as a church, our goal is to see people grow up in that, to be mature. Uh, and uh, we have the privilege of even watching some be called into full-time ministry. All to maturity and some into leadership is our, is our passion and our prayer. And uh, it is a privilege uh, to invest financially and of our time and our effort to, into the lives of young people. But it isn't just young people, it's adults as well. 
And uh, I would encourage you to follow the example of these, these young ladies today. Uh, if you have if not taken a stand publicly and, and told the world that your life belongs to Jesus Christ, um, you can do that by way of baptism, just, just declaring that God owns your heart. What a privilege. And I, I want you to take a deep breath, Carpenter's Way, because your investment of time and resources is having a kingdom effect. And we would do it even if it didn't, and we couldn't see it because that's what we're told to do. But it has been an extremely fruitful summer. Um, I did not prepare for this, but Kevin and Pam, were there, how many, you had two public professions of faith, is that correct? Two teenagers? Are you saying three? Three. And, and worth every penny? They go there and they disciple. There was one village I was being told about by, uh, by someone that um, it's, doesn't have a church. I mean, doesn't have any kind of spiritual contact. And we go in and we bring light. Uh, and that's, that's what's being said. We're, we're going in, we're bringing light. And as the world gets darker in East Texas, and I want you to pay a special attention this morning to the testimony and what we're going to talk about in a few moments, <clears throat> we are the light. It's not politics. Politics, social order, um, making up for past sins, none of those things are the light of a culture. They may be right, but none of those are the light. The light is Jesus Christ, and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and God is using us. What a privilege to be used by the King of Kings for this. And uh, I want to take a moment and thank you for all of that, your faithfulness, your, your giving, your support of those who go on mission trips, your support of the staff. I mean, it's a busy summer, and, and we're just so proud of what Jeff Bonin and, and Mark Dubose and Alicia and her team do. And uh, if you are looking to be involved in ministry, jump into one of those. Uh, you'll see lives changed, and you'll be a part of that. So uh, anyway, I just want to take time for that. If you will take a moment and open your worship guide, I want to highlight a few things. Kip, I'm going to have you come on up. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to have Kip Havard, who's the chairman of our elder council, pray for our offering. <clears throat> if you're visiting with us, we ask that you not give. This is for those who attend here regularly, but uh, he's going to talk about our building renovation stuff going on. In just a moment, I want to remind you, lots of activities taking place. We've got TNT this Thursday. <clears throat> if you're visiting with us, boy, I'd love to meet you. I'd love to shake your hand, and immediately after the service, I'll be up here. If you'll be a little patient, I'd like, to, I'd like to meet you and introduce you to Carpenter's Way and answer any questions that you may have, but we're glad you're here. If you're watching by way of Internet and you want to know more about our God, I'd love to talk with you about our dad, so don't be afraid to, uh, to text or email or, or however you communicate because we'd like to talk with you. I do want to add one more thing before Kips comes, and that is that we usually, after worship time, we dismiss through third grade, but because of the, some of the um, issues in the testimony this morning, we're going to go on up through fifth grade. <clears throat> if I had a kid in fifth grade, I'd want them in this room. It's not graphic, but some of you get questions in some of my preaching. Our preaching here has a tendency to be PG. Um, <clears throat> so having said that, uh, if you would like to avail yourself of that, uh, it, it's a eight-minute testimony video, and it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. But your kids up to fifth grade will be welcome to go out with GPS and be ministered to at their level. Um, Kip, why don't you come, and uh, I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time, and uh, why don't you share about renovation, and then also pray for our offering. Okay, yep. So it's my responsibility here today to remind you folks that we're still trying to add on to our facilities here. Uh, on, if you look inside your worship guide every week, we give an update on where we stand. So our total goal for phase one that we went through was $608,000. We're at $120,000 right now. So that just leaves us a mere $488,000 short of where... That wasn't supposed to be funny. That's honest. That's where we are. $488,000 short of where we need to be in order to start 
the first phase of our renovations. So in honor of that, what we're going to start doing is we're going to start shutting down bathrooms. Every, one every four weeks until eventually we get enough people that there'll be one bathroom and a lot of money coming in. So we'll be able to, no, we're not going to do that. We're not doing that. Just kidding. It's a joke. Uh, inside your worship guides, though, you will notice that there is an envelope that's marked building fund. So we would ask that if you want to contribute to the building fund, please include that money in this envelope. Please make this above and beyond what you already give for your tithe because that money for tithe is designated to existing, uh, existing budgeted items. So you know, what good would it do for us to have a building uh, and then not be able to pay the electric bill, right? So we want to make sure it's above and beyond what we have uh, for existing ties. So appreciate the effort so far and please continue. So let me pray for us for the offering today. You guys have just enough time to put something in this envelope before we hand it out to you. Father in heaven, we come to you today because we love you. We gather today because we want to learn more about you. And Lord, we don't deserve any of this and yet you still just lavish us with gifts and with love and guidance and wisdom and direction. And we pray, God, that as we take our offering today, that it would be wisely used for your benefit, for your glory, and that, God, you would direct us in all that we do. In your name we pray, amen. i uh-huh. 
Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. All my people, trust in Him at all times. Pour out your heart to Him, for God is our refuge.
If you have called on the name of the Lord, it may not be good with your flesh, but it is well with your soul. Amen. And let's, let's just thank God for that right now. Lord Jesus, we want to feel good. We want to be happy. We want to have more money in our bank accounts than we have bills, and we want health that even doctors are shocked about. But when that is not the case, it is still well with our souls if we have called upon the name of the Lord. Thank you for grace and mercy to those of us who do not deserve it. I'm sorry, Father, that I take that for granted. I don't appreciate it like I should. And I forget just how merciful and gracious you have been to Ten me. Ten years old. So we thank you for that, Father. And I held my mother's gun to we my head. We thank you for that, Father. And I wanted to now, blow Lord my Jesus, brains out all Bless our time together. Wall. In Jesus' name I pray. You must Amen. ask the question. So the testimony began while I was praying. <laughs> we, um, we've been studying 1 Samuel together, and as we have looked back and we've watched King Saul squander his ministry, his opportunities, and as we have looked on as Eli was a great prophet by all stretches of the imagination, but he was a lousy dad. And then we watch David in difficult circumstances faithfully trust the Lord and stay faithful. One of the things that uh, it doesn't take long to realize or to think about is, man, how, as you look at these, you go, how could you mess this up? And partially that's because it's thousands of years ago and we know the end of the story. But just as perplexing at times, we kind of look at our own lives here in light of East Texas and the Bible Belt and all of the times in churches that we've had, and we wonder, what is our task? I mean, we're all pretty much ready to share Christ with somebody if they all of a sudden walk up to us and say, you know, tell me about God. But I'm not sure we understand our task on a daily basis. Uh, it was a few months ago um, on, uh, at a Gideon's banquet for pastors that I heard this testimony that you've already heard the first two minutes of. Um, and it moved me, and you'll see why in a moment. Uh, this is a true story. Um, it's about a guy, and he's, what, what this is a recording of is at a Gideon banquet outside of Cleveland, Ohio. He shared his story. Uh, so you'll hear a lot about Gideon Bibles in it. Um, but I really want you to think about who God used to minister to this young man. Because I, I man, many of you are back from vacation, and you're about to start on campus. You're a bus driver you're a teacher, you're an administrator, and, and I know that with the limitations that government has placed upon you, uh, you may be a diesel mechanic, you might be a real estate agent, and you're wondering where your ministry is, and you don't have time for children's ministry or something else. Pay attention to this story, because I think it will impact you as much as it impacted me. This is a Ron, this man's name is Ron Archer. Ten years old. And I held my mother's gun to my head. And I wanted to blow my brains out all over her wall. You must ask the question, why would a 10-year-old child want to die? 10 is a time to dream of being an astronaut, of being a soccer star, a football player, a preacher, a pastor, a doctor. But for me, life was so horrific, with so much vitriol and pain, I wanted to die. I'm the product of interracial immigrants. 
My grandmother was tall, white, and thin from Germany, and we called her French Fry. My grandfather was a big, burly black man from Cuba, and we called him Hamburger. Hamburger met French Fry and created a Happy Meal. And these two immigrants produced seven McNuggets with special sauce. We would joke that we would have Wiener Schnitzel with salsa for Thanksgiving. My grandfather had to hide the fact in the 1940s in America that he was married to a Caucasian woman. But one wedding anniversary, he had a flaw. He liked to drink overproof Cuban rum. And one evening, he was inebriated. And a man saw them together and said to my grandmother, why would you be a nigger lover? My grandfather, with huge arms, lost his temper and hit the man in the jaw and broke his neck. The man didn't die, but he was injured severely. He went to the worst prison, convicted of the crime. Mansfield Reformatory in Ohio, locked down 23 hours a day. It hit the newspapers that my grandmother was married to this convicted felon and she lost her job. But being a German woman, she didn't complain or whine or woe is me. She began to work odd jobs, cleaning other people's houses and toilets, taking care of their children. But as she was working, she would have fainting spells, passing out, doing her job. She went to the doctor and discovered that she had a tumor growing behind her left eye that was metastasizing to her brain. And the doctor said, we have to take out a third of your face, your eye. You will be malformed and disformed and disfigured for the rest of your life. What do you do when the American dream becomes an American nightmare. She could not work. She was sick and mutilated. My grandfather's in jail, and day by day, they lost everything that they had acquired. They lost their house. They lost their car. They lost their furniture. They lost their dignity. They lost their self-esteem, and they were living in the streets like animals. My three uncles got hooked on heroin. They belonged to a gang called the Devil's Disciple. And my entire family became atheistic. No God, no prayer, no Bible, no hope. And my mother at age 14 was called by a pimp named Larry who said to her, what is school doing for you? You are sitting on a gold mine. She said, where? He said, you're sitting on it. And we call this being turned out. And little by little, she began to sell her 14-year-old body to grown men for money to survive. It's called turning tricks. And at age 16, she got pregnant. We call it having a trick baby. Two strangers meet for a business transaction, and there's a mistake. The pimp said, you can't make any money having a baby in the oven. We have got to kill this baby. They kicked her in the stomach. They fed her alcohol. They gave her drugs. They took a hanger and stabbed the baby over and over again. But the baby would not die. 
The baby was born two months premature with no pancreas, a learning disability, a bladder too small, unable to function, a severe stutterer. We call it a trick baby. Nobody wants the baby. No hope, no future. Kill it was the word. That baby was me. I'm the lowest of the low. I come from the guttermost. I come from a hellish condition. And so when I would go to school, I couldn't talk. I stuttered so severely from the trauma. My mother had a madam who hated men. Her name was Dolores, and she was a sadist. And when she would watch me, she would take a broomstick and stick it in a place where no boy should have any object in his body. And when you are tortured like that, you learn four things. Don't talk. Don't trust. Don't feel and pretend nothing is happening. And by age 10, I had had enough. I want it to die. And in my school, they put me in a boiler room with other kids who were dysfunctional like me, where we would finger paint all day long. And yet there was a teacher, thank God for her, who had a Gideon Bible. And she came to my school and she saw kids like me as her mission field. And she would give me this Gideon Bible and read to me stories of dysfunctional characters who God used. She would say to me, Ronaldo, God uses greatly those who have been wounded very deeply. He will turn your pain into power, your wounds into wisdom. She had me read the story of Moses, who was also a stutterer. I began to understand that God did love a trick baby, even as low as I was. There was hope for me and possibility. And when a child begins to understand the love of God and the power of his word and the possibilities, it changes everything. How can a young man keep his way clean by taking heed according to your word? Your word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee. I began to memorize the Bible, that Gideon Bible, reading 2,000 scriptures. And when you put that kind of word in a life, something begins to happen. My stuttering went away. I stopped wetting the bed. I stood tall. I became valedictorian, became a pastor and priest until everybody in my family got saved. Why? Because somebody placed a Gideon Bible in a woman's hand that changed a life forever. Yes! I was born a trick baby, but the trick was on the devil because of you and the power of the word of God. So obviously... Uh, you were moved like me when you heard that. Uh, I get tired or overwhelmed is a better term when I read in the news that over 3,000 people were shot in Chicago last year. That's eight a day. I see and hear news of gang and drug violence and I watch its practical impact right here in East Texas, you know, in Angelina County. It's changed ministry. We can't keep the doors unlocked and how we minister to the, the needy in our community has, has changed because of the risks that are involved. I watch children grow up in single parent homes where dads don't take care of their own 
and they even desire and try to find ways not to pay child support. Or moms get strung on drugs and they don't take care of their kids for the, for the money. They even steal. I, I know some of our local ministries have to, during the summer especially, and, and you teachers know about this. It used to be that they could give kids food, but the problem is that the moms and dads at times take them and they steal their food and their backpacks and sell it so that they can get one hit. So some of our local communities have to sneak food to these kids. That's crazy. And it's all because of drug addiction. I watch even in the church as sexual self-pleasure is prioritized over what is best for those around us. We become selfish. Or even families or moms and dads who get frustrated with their spouses will break up simply because it's better for them and makes them happy no matter what the cost to the kids. I hear about 700,000 babies that are murdered every year simply because they're an inconvenience. It's called abortion. I hear these statistics and my heart is heavy because I wonder what I can really do that has any effect on culture. I mean, I'm just a big pastor in a little town of Texas and the only time we get on the map is when it's super hot or there's a flood in, in, in Houston and they need a place to sleep. And then I hear a testimony like this and um, I think of one public school teacher who simply offered a Bible and love and hope. I mean, it's almost, and I, I look, I, this morning before communion, I just want to share from my heart and this isn't a fully blown message. It's more of a devotional. I've been thinking about it all week. I mean, we're in a civil war in our country. You know that, right? I mean, it's, it's, there's nobody shooting at each other for the most part, but they're yelling at each other. And if you have Twitter, it's, it's bad. The left hates the right. The right hates the left. And, you know, somewhere in there, we still believe that the hope is found in a, in a social or political agenda. And I'm here to tell you that that would never have helped this man. Uh, there's not enough social service money in the world to solve the problem that Mr. Archer woke up with. It's Jesus, you guys. It, re it really is. It really is Jesus Christ. And God has placed you and I in our mission field. Yes, East Texas. Yes, the school. I I'm talking about where you are, where you find yourself. This morning, you watched grandparents pray for their grandkids. You watched dads baptize their kids. That's a mission field. You work in a public school system, those of you who teach, and I know it's difficult, and I, I would never have known this had we not sheltered people over the last 10 years, but one of the reasons, and I, I, I see it on Facebook, and we complain because they don't close the schools down when the weather's weird, and you know one of the reasons that the superintendents don't close the school towns in East Texas when you think they should is because there's about 70% of those kids that won't eat, and the superintendents know that, and they want to take care of those kids. And the truth is, we're surrounded by it in East Texas. We've got heroin addiction like crazy and crack. You know, we go to Walmart and you see them, and we laugh because they're without a shirt but have nice boots. And the truth is, those are people Jesus died for. And not one of them want to look stupid. Not one of them. And sometimes as the church, we slither back into our communities and we talk about politics from the right or the left. And I talk a lot about the conservatives, but I want to say that some of you who've been liberal are just as inappropriate on, on the internet. 
The answer is not left or right, it's Jesus. And I know you know that here, and I know that here, but do I know it here? I mean, I know that I'm the workmanship of Christ, so I can do stuff that he planned for me long ago, but I find myself not really expecting me to have much of a social impact. I'm not Louis Giglio, and nobody's asking for copies of my messages, and they're not calling. I'm just a pastor of an East Texas church. And then I watch this, and I realize that was just a guy in a Cleveland, Ohio school that God has surrounded me with people who need hope in Jesus. And God has surrounded you with people that need hope in Jesus. And then it takes me to 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5, and, and we read this. Verse 11, Paul is de- explaining and defending his ministry to the believers of Corinth who is, is questioning him. And he says, because we understand our fearful responsibility. So that's his motivating factor. We work hard to persuade others. God knows we're sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? Are we bragging? No. We're giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. Apparently, in Paul's time, there were churches that were doing awesome things for the kingdom. Great, wonderful, spectacular things with lots of money, and Paul wasn't one of them. We look at Paul as the author of much of the New Testament and wrote most of our doctrine in the church, teaching us the mysteries according to Ephesians. And you look at Paul and you think of him as a big dog, but the people in his day thought he was a small fish and he wasn't the most effective fish. And so he has to write this part and he has to defend him saying, look, I know I don't have a spectacular ministry, but you know me well and you know that I have a sincere heart. That fits because a lot of times you go, what can I do? That's when you've got to turn Fox News off or CNN. Because it's not about the masses, it's about the individuals. That's why Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ did not come to save our country. He came to save the people who make up our country. The people that you live around, the people that live in your house, your children, your grandchildren. Those are the people that God saved. And and the apostles are saying, this is why we serve the Lord, because we understand our fearful responsibility. Verse 13, if it seems we're crazy, it's to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Either way, it's Christ's love that now controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have died to our old life. That's a significant statement. He died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Verse 16, so because of that, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has become, or has begun. This old way of thinking says those people are too poor, too broke, too strung out to be ministered to. They'll be there their whole life. We all have a tendency in our flesh to write people off because they're they're stuck in their circumstances. And and we turn it into a political conversation because it's easier for us to remove ourselves by making it a political conversation. I don't have to interact. It's what we've done with homosexuals in the church. As long as you don't know one, you can hate them. But the minute you meet one and you fall in love with them and realize that they are deeply wanting acceptance and love and hope, you have a hard time with the rhetoric often preached from pulpits in this country. 
You see, Jesus died for homosexuals. He died for trick babies. He died for black, white, brown. He died for legal, illegal aliens, citizens of this country, and citizens of Cuba. And we know that here. We just don't know how that affects us here. And here's why it matters. Verse 18 says, all of this new thinking, this new life this, with new eyes, where we no longer look at people and their potential from a human point of view, no matter how few teeth they have at Walmart, Jesus died for them. And they are potential children of the King. And some of us take pictures of them and post them, post them on Facebook and make funny memes like, look what I found at, at Walmart tonight. With, with no regard for the fact that that is a creation of the King. And I'm not yelling at you, I do it too. You know, when I watch that video, I, I see a, a, a guy who calls himself bishop and an effective preacher. and It's hard for me to envision him being mistreated by a madam that his mom was working for or, or, or to have no pancreas or to be this poor kid because we see him as successful. He's now removed from that. And it's easy for me to love him going, yes, God, look what you did. But the reality is there was a teacher who saw him in his flesh thinking to herself because of her experience, this kid has no hope except for God. The people that we live around in East Texas have no hope except for God. That is true. The fact that the, the things that you know, the things that you believe, they're true. They will never grow out of that unless they meet God. Once in a great while, society helps somebody up the ladder, but most of the time it doesn't happen unless God gets involved. And when God gets involved and puts His Holy Spirit in people's hearts, they change every time. The Holy Spirit's presence in a life is 100% effective. And I know you know this in your own life, but we have to know it for others as well. That's why we're still here. We haven't been taken to heaven the moment we accept Christ because of, of what we just saw this morning. Because now that I'm saved, getting saved is easy. Getting surrendered is very complicated. It, it's asking for death to self. Actually, getting in that baptismal and saying, I am now going to live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but the life I live in the body, I live for God. I'm going to serve Him with every breath. That is hard because I'm a selfish. We are a selfish people. That's why Paul says we no longer look at ourselves from that point of view. And he goes on in verse 18 to say, this is the gift from God who brought us back uh, to himself through Christ. And now God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us now. Now we have this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. And you know what that looks like. This is not our homeland. That's our home. And we're here as ambassadors in an embassy getting out there in the world and introducing them to the king of our, of our kingdom. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead with people. Come back to God. Come back to God. For God made Christ who knew no sin to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20, look at this. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. I know what most of you are thinking. Okay, yep, that's me. And when God shows me when and where, I'll gladly do it. I know you would. 
There's not a person in this room who regularly attends here, even if you're struggling with your faith, who wouldn't share Christ if somebody tapped you on the forehead and said, tell me how to be forgiven by God. But that's not how this works. That's a rare experience. The truth is, it's the gates of hell that are not to prevail against the church. If hell has gates, what are they protecting themselves from? The church on offense. We're supposed to come here to church and be encouraged and go out there and invade culture. We're the ones who are going out there. And we're saying that hope is not found in political means. It's found in Jesus Christ. And even the atheists can get saved. Because you may not believe in God, but He believes in you. Enough to send His Son to die for you. And it doesn't matter what color your skin or how broke you are or how evil your parents are. There is hope in God. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. God is so good. He's so powerful. He's so strong. And I want to add, He's so sovereign. He's so sovereign, family. And so involved in the details of your life that He has strategically placed you exactly where He wants you to serve Him. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It's going to happen today. You are already in your mission field. You don't have to pay $3,000 and go to Brazil. It's a great experience, but the hopes of that is you come back and realize that I am already serving in my mission field. I'm already living in it. Proverbs 16.9, we looked at this last week, but I want you to really take this into your soul. We make our plans. We go to college for jobs. We get trained. We're going to teach kids how to read. We're going to help truckers get back on the road. Whatever it is you do, we're going to keep people healthy. Whatever it is you do, we make our plans. But God determines our steps. He puts people in your path. He sits people down in front of you. He brings desperate people across your way so that you can offer them hope beyond fixing their problem. You can offer them hope in Jesus. It's not just true for David or Elijah or Paul, but it's true for you and I as well. Because God in His ultimate wisdom has already placed each and every one of us in our mission field. My mission field is you. You're my mission field. I didn't live in East Texas. God brought me here. You are my mission field. And my mission is to remind you that you are in your mission field. My mission field is my children and my wife, my neighbors. My mission field is the gas attendant or the the person at the grocery store or the bad server at Applebee's. Not that they're all bad servers at Applebee's. Forgive me, management. You're a fine organization. But that's my mission field. We think that we roll the dice. Where do you want to eat? And you know, you had a classic conversation, husbands and wives. Where do you want to eat, honey? And the wife says, I don't care. All right, let's go to Tokyo Steakhouse. Not there. After seven restaurant choices, a big fight, you end up home looking at each other over a bowl of cereal. Not that that's ever happened in my marriage. The truth is that you could be on restaurant number five and argument number two, and God places you in the perfect circumstance to minister to the waitress if your heart isn't so angry and your flesh isn't so inflamed that you're thinking about yourself. Your air conditioning goes out and you call an air conditioner repairman. It's God ordained for your life. So what do you want me to do? Witness to him? Not necessarily. But you can be a witness to him in everything you do. When you get pulled over by a cop, don't tell him off. Thank him for doing his job. Well, I'm not thankful for him doing his job. Shouldn't have been speeding. You won't have to meet him. 
or her. You know what I'm saying. That God ordains the moments of our life. We make our plans, but He determines our step. Every one of them. Nobody wakes up wanting to get cancer, but maybe the reason you got cancer is because a doctor or a nurse needs you or a parking attendant at the hospital. You may be working in a job that you hate simply so you can feed your family. God broke you so you'd have to work there to come in contact with the people that you need to minister to. The truth is God is awesome. And the same hope that He's given you, He's offering through you. In His ultimate wisdom, He has placed you and I within our mission fields. Like this woman in this school where, where this pastor was growing up. You're placed in a place of ministry at home, at work, at church, at the movies at play, your favorite barbecue place, your favorite store. Even here this morning, people sitting around you. How was church? I didn't like the song choice. I'm not, that's not speaking for me. I love the song choice. Doing a fine job, Chad. Or I didn't like the video. Or, but you know, sometimes it's not about you. It's about the person next to you or in front of you or behind you. Maybe when you hear somebody being restless, you should pray for them instead of get frustrated with them. Well, I can't hear what the preacher wants to say. Maybe you don't need to hear it. You've heard it 700 times. You need to be more concerned for the person who's restless. What if we stopped living from a human point of view and start seeing ourselves as Christ's ambassadors and he's making his appeal through us, come back to God. I'm beginning to realize, and especially after watching this video again this week, we don't have to run for Congress or wait for the right person to be elected to solve the problem within our society. You don't have to be a police chief to fight crime. You don't have to be a famous preacher to tell people about Jesus. You just have to own your task, ambassadors of Daddy's kingdom. Because the message of reconciliation is for everybody you come in contact with. Everyone. We are appealing to those we are prejudiced to. Some of you here this morning, probably not many, but a few, hate it when I talk about socioeconomic stuff and, and, and Walmart because you're prejudiced against those people. Let me say something very unpastoral. I don't care if you're prejudiced against them or not. Your father loves them, so love them from, for him. It, it doesn't matter if you don't like illegal aliens. If you find one, Give them hope in Jesus. I've had people in this church tell me that they would never minister to a homosexual, that that's my job. Pastor, I'm glad you care for them because I'm not going to. How dare you? How dare you? I don't care if you love them or not. Your father loves them. Go message reconciliation to them. Tell them about hope. Hope is in God alone it's in God alone and you know it is because it's not working for you to try everything else Democrats how's that working for you those of you putting your hope in the Republican Party how's that working for you independence you're just confused <laughs> a little agnostic over which group is right those of us who, who you know, I could go on. As I watched this in February, my thought was our teachers need to hear this. 
Because right now, and, and look, I, I don't claim, nor have I studied, because I'm not in this area, I don't understand all of the frustration you have over what's going on in Austin. I don't. Retirement plans, I haven't read it. I have enough trouble thinking about whether I'll ever retire. My brain is awash with information, so I don't know what's going on. Having said that, I'm sure you have a lot to be frustrated about. You are well underpaid. You are no longer just educators. You are social, social service workers. You now have to worry about the bruises on people's arms because if a kid has a bruise and you don't report it right, you could be held accountable for it. You are in deep trouble, but those kids need Jesus, so don't quit. Don't quit. I know you don't make enough money. God will supply your needs. He promised to. He will supply your needs. But you are not going to work this month, this week. Principles. Teachers, as you prepare your room, you're not going to work for kids. You're going to work for the king. And I know that you can't get up and present Jesus Christ, but you can live it. Jesus didn't walk into parties and start proclaiming himself. He sat and he, he spent time among those people. Remember the woman at the well? She was perplexed that a Jew would spend time with her. And when she said, why are you a Jew asking me for water? He said, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water. He opened the door and she ran through it. God's not asking you to, to teach the Romans road as a principle during your, uh, your, your pump-up rallies, the beginning of the year. I can't remember what those are called. God's not asking you to teach the Romans road to your staff. He's asking you to love them like he would love them. Even that one teacher who's just buying time to retirement. I know life is hard for some of you. Gosh, life is hard for all of you. But your hope is in the Lord. And your cup should overflow with hope in God so that others want that hope in God. Look at Romans 10, 14 and 15. I love these verses. How can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they haven't, have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how can anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. I was thinking about having you take your shoes off and stick your feet in the air, but I thought that would be weird even for me. But God thinks your feet are beautiful. Do you? I mean, I'm not talking about your toes. Some of you have really ugly toes. But you have beautiful feet because they were made for walking, not to be covered. Walk into your mission field. You are messengers of reconciliation. You have been planted teachers, parents, homeschoolers. Don't just make sure your kids read. Don't just make sure that your kids are safe. You have a unique opportunity to take them to CISC and help them feed people. Take them out there among the lost. Take them out there where people are broken. And teach your homeschool child what sin does. Pray with your kids for those people. Don't mock them or scoff at them. Do not teach your kids that the answer to the, that Ale Society, it's not, it's not politics, it's, it's Jesus. Politics is a lousy second.
It's Jesus. Because without Jesus, you'd be with them. And somebody loved you enough to tell you. And you responded. Now. Love them enough to tell them. I'm going to ask our elders to come forward for our communion time. And here's what I want you to do this morning as we take communion. I want you to think about when you came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Not just the moment, but I want you to think about what led up to that. Who? Whose beautiful feet did God use? Well, uh, God just used my Sunday school teacher. That person had to volunteer. Well, God just used my mom and dad. They had to tell you. Who invested in you? Whose beautiful feet changed your eternity? I want you to think about God sending Jesus for 33 years so that any of this could be true. And I want us to take a few minutes to thank him for that. Even if right now you are a child of God not walking with him, I want you to take your eyes off of yourself for a few moments. And I want you to think about God, what he's done for you, knowing you wouldn't be faithful to him. Go ahead and pass this out, gentlemen. Go ahead. Go ahead. I want to remind you, as you do, this one right here. As you do, gentlemen and ladies, I love you guys. I always mess this up for these guys. I want you to remember what the bread is about. The grape juice, the wine, that's the picture of the blood of Christ that removes our sin. But before we do that, Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And the picture of that is, I put up with this so that this could take place. I was willing to live for 33 years with you, be rejected by you, pushed back on. I was willing to do that. What are you willing to do for those around you? First John says, those who love Jesus will live as Jesus lived. He broke his body for us. What are we willing to do for him? I'm going to be quiet. And family of God, I want you to talk to your daddy. I want you to think about your life and what you've been willing to do or not willing to do. And I want you to begin to tell him why not. Tell him why you won't. Talk to him. Maybe you haven't talked to him in a long time. Take some time, brothers and sisters. For those of you who are not the children of God, none of this matters to you. What should matter to you is that hope is found in Jesus Christ. And Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're the ruler, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and is the remover of sin, you will be saved. Verse 13 of Romans chapter 10 says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you have never accepted his offer to forgive your sin, today's the day of salvation. Why would anybody want to die in their sin? It's the dumbest decision anybody could ever make. You don't have to stand before God with your sin. It can be removed. Accept his offer to forgive your sin.
know some of you out there are like saved, but you're so far from being close with God. You're so invested in your flesh right now. You don't even know how to talk to him again. God sent me to tell you something. Not only if you have called on his name are you forgiven, but he likes you a lot. It's time to stop letting Satan lie to you and accept his this intimate relationship. I know you're saved, but it's so much more than heaven. It's about hope and joy and peace. Run to him again. Even if you don't know what to say. This is a a symbol of the faithfulness of Jesus so that we can even have this conversation this morning. It's too easy to run right to the cross and forget the emotional baggage that Jesus would carry because of this. The pain he would go through, the doubts, even his family would taunt him. Hey, go on Passover and do a miracle so everybody will worship you. Remember his brothers teased him about that? He did that so we could gather here in 2018 this morning. Hear the story of a guy whose life was changed. Think on our own experiences and be overwhelmed at his mercy. We do this to remember what he's done for us. Father, thank you for being faithful to your daddy's calling so that we might know that there's hope in you. Thank you for being willing to endure shame, mocking, hatred, all so that we could be adoptable. Father, forgive us for not doing the same for others. Amen. I would encourage those of you that are talking to God to keep talking with Him. I want to talk to those who are struggling or not saved. I want to explain this so that everybody understands. This is grape juice. It's, uh, it looks like the color of blood. And the reason we use this and do this is because Jesus instructed us to through the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. To do this so that we can remember how it is that we got to where we are. It's not because you're good-looking or your socioeconomic status is a, is a certain level. It's, it's not because you're great. It's because God is great and loves you and chased you. It's because he called you to himself. But that wasn't enough. He had to shed his blood. He so loved us that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins. If you are a child of God this morning and living in your sin, you are squandering his grace. How's it working for you? Run back to him. If you don't know him this morning, call on him. Just tell him what you need. Tell him that you accept his offer to forgive your sin. 
Brothers and sisters, I want you to take the next few moments. And I want you to think about the mission field in which God has put you in. And I want you to talk to him about it in your head. What are the mission fields in which God has called you to? Just think about your life, work, home. Take some time to pray for the people that God brings to your mind right now. And he will bring the people to mind he wants you to pray for. Pray for them. Talk to your dad about them. is God asking you to be a messenger of reconciliation this morning again I'm not talking about reading the Romans road to them or giving them a track I'm talking about loving on them befriending them pray for them right now pray for yourself Let God open your eyes to who and ways that he wants you to care for, for folks. Jesus did it for us. We should do it for him. They need us, you guys. <laughs> they need us. This community, this culture, this country, this world needs Carpenter's Way Baptist Church. Not as an organization, but as a group of people who love them and see them in a new light more than we love ourselves, more than we love America, more than we love our culture and our families. Love the lost. They need us really, really bad. This helps us remember that one point in time, somebody did this for us. It's a phenomenal reminder. And we take this together in remembrance of him doing that. Dear Lord, thank you. And help us to see with new eyes things that we have never seen before. Help us to look at people this year in light of you.
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> the uh, elders are going to make their way to the doors as we have uh, our benevolence offering that helps those in our family who are struggling financially. I want to encourage you today, to, especially if you're a teacher or work in a public school or home school or I don't know, I encourage you to wash this little cup and put it in your truck if you're a truck driver. Put it on your desk if you're a teacher to remind you of what God has done for you and what your job is to do for others. Messengers of reconciliation. As though God is making his appeal through us, that is our task. Their hope is Jesus. God bless you guys. I hope you were touched this morning. Sunday school or Bible study is going to start in about 10 minutes. Uh, We'll see you Wednesday night. Could see was the struggle.